Well, good morning. See, I love this video because it talks about baggage. And, and we're in this series called Perfect Tips for Imperfect Relationships. See, one of the greatest causes for these imperfect relationships is that people just don't know how to let go of baggage. We just don't know how to let go of our past. And you see, like this video showed, we've all got baggage in various forms. My favorite, by the way, was the guy with the keg. Did you guys notice that? They had a bag wrapped around a keg. And then the girlfriend, like, how did they film that, you know? <laughs> Gets me wondering. But you see, we've all got baggage. Different sizes, different shapes, but we've all got it. Now, by the way, this, I'm making this look heavy because it is. <laughs> Not just because I haven't worked out in a while. But, let's see here. On this, gosh, dang, this is heavy. Well, it's, the first service, this table supported the weight. So, I'm hoping for this service, our table will support the weight of this baggage. You see, we carry around all sorts of things here. Let's find out what we've got. See, some of us, we carry around things that are recent, either things that have happened to us or things that, that we've done ourselves, some of our choices. Some of it can be kind of light. Some of it can be kind of recent. So this is some trash from this morning. We carry this kind of stuff with us. Uh, other times, it's things that uh, we've had for a long time. And so to illustrate that, I have a from 1980s uh, ugly sweater, Christmas ugly sweater here. <laughs> It was shoulder pads and complete. So some of us just carry around stuff that we haven't worn in a long time, stuff that, that's from old. But you see, there's, there's other things in here. There's other things that we need to deal with, other things that we need to, to actually um, talk about this morning. And you see, I, I love this uh, image of baggage that we carry, especially being here in front of the altar. You see, we carry this kind of baggage in our relationships. We walk around with it. And you see, this is a place where many people have gotten married. And in front of the altar where we commit to each other, we commit to marriage. And, and the truth is that, that there's been many times when we have come to the altar um, and yet we're still carrying this baggage, uh, either through a wedding or even um, when we take communion, that there's times when, when we come and we're harboring on to this baggage. And so I think the altar is a very appropriate place to talk about baggage. Now, the thing is that we could just carry it around and it could just weigh on us as we go through life. Uh, we can pretend like it doesn't exist. That's my favorite, is when someone pretends like they don't have any baggage, and yet everyone else can see it, right? Um, no denying it. We've all got baggage. So the thing is that um, our video talked about throwing it down, and, and that's true, uh, because ultimately we have to be able to let this stuff go. We have to be able to let this not impact our imperfect relationships today. But, but the question is how. And the thing is we actually have to deal with it before we're able to drop it. We have to allow God to come into our lives to begin this healing process to where we don't have to lug around this luggage. And so there are three things that we're going to address this morning. There's three things for us to do. And the first one is giving up our grudges. So this is our first piece right here, giving up our grudges. 
And I'll just set this right here. We've got to give up our grudges. See, Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate toward one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So it says here to get rid of all of our bitterness. In other words, throw it away, eliminate it. Don't hold on to resentment. Because if you do hold on to resentment, then Paul says that it will ruin our relationships. And the fact is that there's few things in life that cause more damage to relationships than grudges, than resentment. Why? Well, because we depend on other people to meet our needs, don't we? To meet our physical needs, financial needs, social needs, and even spiritual needs. And as a result of that, when, when our needs are not met, we get angry at people. We say things like, you're not meeting my needs, and then we get resentful. See, the problem with that, though, is it just it doesn't work. When you're resentful, it doesn't upset the other person. It just upsets you. And they may be out having a great time, for example, and you're at home stewing and spewing, saying, I just can't stand that person. But you're only hurting yourself. And on top of that, it's worthless. Uh, you can be resentful toward people who have hurt you in the past, but it will never change the past. See, no matter how much you resent it, it will never change the past. and never resolves the problem. It only makes it worse. Also, it's controlling. See, when you say to someone this phrase, when you say, you make me so mad, listen to that. You're admitting weakness. This phrase, you make me, means that you can control my emotions. You have the power to control me. But the thing is, no one can make you mad without your permission. You are allowing them to make you mad. And some of us have been hurt in the past. In fact, I would say that all of us have been hurt in the past. But some of us are continuing to allow people from our past to hurt us in the present, even if they're not even around anymore. See, Paul says, he says, let it go. Get rid of this bitterness. Your past is your past. It cannot hurt you anymore unless you allow it. And for your own sake, Paul says, that we need to give up our grudges. See, the second thing here, this is a bigger rock, is this, that we need to give up our grief. We need to give up our grief. This is weighing us down so much. See, sorrow, it's a part of life. It's a normal part of life. Everyone experiences loss. Some of us have even had losses this past year, very recently. It hurts, it stings. But grieving is a natural part of life. And there's nothing wrong with mourning. You see, in our culture, especially guys, I think, but we're told that you're supposed to show up at a funeral and, and you're supposed to be strong for other people. No. That you are allowed to mourn. You're allowed to grieve. And you need to be given permission. You need to be able to grieve. You need to be able to grieve well. In fact, uh, Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, he says, blessed are those who mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. See, the Bible says in every way that it's okay to weep, it's okay to grieve. It's part of life. However, I've got to draw a line in the sand to distinct something. We've got to have a distinction between mourning and moaning, right? Moaning and mourning. See, moaning is, is a pity party. When you moan, you resign from life. I quit. I'll never be happy again. I've lost it all. And you're becoming a victim. Why? Why become a victim? The reality is that you have not lost it all. You're still here. You know, a lot of people, uh, I work with teenagers and, and adults, and I've noticed that so many people, it's like we just build up these walls to allow us to never really be vulnerable and to uh, prevent people from getting into our lives. And so we just, we build up these emotional walls, and some of them are really thick, and some of them are as high as the sky. We don't want to get hurt. We'll say things like, I'm never going to allow anyone to get close to me again because I might get hurt. They'll get close to me and I'll lose them. And so we build this wall. We build this wall thick, thick in our lives. But the reality is that pain is just a part of life. See, everybody here hurts. Everyone has hurts and heartaches. And we've all experienced them in life. But God says, do not allow your pain to make you a prisoner of that pain. In other words, you've got to learn to let go of your grief so that you can have good relationships today. The question is, how do we let go of it? Well, there's a story in 2 Samuel 12 about David. And it's a kind of a crazy but a really beautiful story. And it kind of gives us a window into how we can let go of grief. See, David, he had this illegitimate child with Bathsheba. He took another man's wife, and he had her husband killed. That is sin. She became pregnant, and she bore a son. And the son, here's the thing, though. The son became very, very sick. And David, it says, laid himself out on the ground and prayed for days. Can you imagine laying yourself on the ground and praying for days. But that's what David did here, and he prayed this. He said, God, save this child, spare this child. He fasted and he prayed and he wept for days. And then the child died. See, when we pray to God, God does not always respond with a yes. He does not always respond with how we pray. And so in 2 Samuel 12, 16 and 18, David pleaded with God for the child and he fasted and he went into this house and spent nights lying on the ground. But on the seventh day, the child died. Now David, he did two things whenever the child died. And it's the same two things that we need to do today in order to let go of our grief. The first thing is that we need to accept what cannot be changed. And that's the first thing that David did. He accepted what cannot be changed. In, in 2 Samuel 12, 22, then David got up from the ground. He said, while this child was still alive, I fasted and wept, but now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back to life? No. And so while there was a chance, David prayed and wept, but now he's dead. And now He's got to get on with his life. He accepted what cannot be changed. 
See, many of us are in pain now from events that happened a long time ago, years and years ago. The key to your peace of mind, though, is one word, acceptance. Acceptance of God's will in your life. See, God does not have a plan B for your life. There's only plan A. See, God, and people forget this, but God is still on his throne. God is still in control. And we need to accept what cannot be changed. We got to let it go. We got to let go of our grief. The second thing that David did was he focused on what's left, not what's lost. Focus on what's left, not what's lost. It says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. You see, David, even in the midst of his mourning and grieving, he got up, and he still had friends. He had family. He had loved ones. And he looked at what he had, what he had left and not just what he had lost. Now you might say, well, I don't have much left. Well, yes, you do. You have your life. You have a church full of people that care about you. I loved interviewing uh, Russ and Miriam Palmer uh, in that video before the service. And their, their story about how um, Russ and his stroke and the difficulties and the pain that they had suffered. Uh, but it was right whenever they joined St. Mark is when this happened. And, and who rushed to them? Who rushed to their, uh, the hospital room and for months after and even to this day is, is us, is the, the church family. And just what an amazing testimony that is and what amazing um, generosity that, that we have in this place. And so, so you might be saying, well, I don't have much left, but you have a church full of people. Uh, there are 300 people that come here every Sunday morning, 300 people that care about you, and we pray for you and care for you and love you. See, sometimes we just have a lot more than what we're looking at, than what we can see at face value. We've got to give up our grief. Self-pity is much more damaging to your life than any tragedy because it perpetuates the pain long after the pain should be manageable. So some of us are holding on to grudges from the past. Some of us are still holding on to grief from the past. And we're taking it out on relationships in the present. And it's just not fair to yourself. It's not fair to the people that you're in relationship with. And then the third and final one, and this is a big one. So this is the uh, biggest rock that I could pick up that I can find around here. There were some rocks that I said, you're just going to stay there. <laughs> this rock, however, requires two hands. And hopefully it won't break the table. But it's our guilt. See, this is one of the ones that we lug around and bring into our relationships, and it affects our relationships, is our guilt. See, some of us just have a really hard time accepting the forgiveness from God. We talk all the time at, in church, and if you read God's word, you're in God's word, you know that God has forgiven you of your sins. And, and so it's not a mystery, it's not a, a newsflash for many of us, and yet uh, many of us are still holding on to this guilt because we are um, working hard at not allowing God to forgive us. So we hang on to it. We bring it into our relationships. We lock ourselves into a prison as if 
as if we're paying for our own sins. See, a letter received by the pastor of Moody Bible Church. Here's a pretty crazy story. He says, I'm 31 years old and divorced. Though I fought the divorce bitterly, I feel bad because it went ahead anyway. And now I feel badly that I have no hope for the future. Often I go home from church and cry, but there's no one to hold me when I cry. No one cares. I beg God for the grace to be single for his glory and to fix my eyes on Jesus, but nothing changes. I continue to fail. I'm a basket case emotionally or on the verge of a collapse. Something is very wrong. I'm so crippled and embittered that I can scarcely relate to anyone else anymore. I feel as if I will have to sit out the rest of my life in, here's her phrase, in a penalty box. I think we can relate to this. This describes a lot of people that I met. I met 13-year-olds who feel like that they are in the penalty box of life. I made one mistake and I blew it. Therefore, the rest of my life is just plan B. I can no longer have God's best for my life because I made some dumb, silly mistakes. Therefore, the rest of my life is wasted. I've heard people, young and old, say that. And if that's the way that you feel, well, then you're wrong. See, if, if I believe that, then I wouldn't be here. There is hope. And, and that is the message of good news, that we have a forgiving, gracious God, the God of second chances. But we've got to get up, and we've got to give up our guilt. I mean, that's what Peter did. See, both he and Judas denied Jesus. And both felt incredibly guilty for their actions. But the difference, though, between Peter and between Judas was how they responded. Judas decided to give up. And Scripture says that he went to a field and hung himself. Peter, on the other hand, turned towards the Lord. In Matthew 26, 75, Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken, and he went outside and wept bitterly. He had the same remorse that Judas did, but instead of giving up, he turned and confessed his sins to God. Well, how do we know that he did that? Well, because a few days later, God used him. See, Peter must have had some sort of conversation with God like this. God, I'm sorry. I lived with Jesus Christ for three and a half years. I watched every move, and when it came down to a clinch, I copped out. I denied I ever knew you. God, I've really let you down. Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever said, God, I've blown it. I've really let you down. But here's what God has to say. God says, no, my child, you did not let me down because you were never holding me up. See, you don't hold God up. He holds you up. You don't have God in your hands. He has you in his hands. And this may be something new for us, but, but nothing that you do ever surprises God. Isn't it amazing that God knows every stupid mistake that I'm going to make for the rest of my life, and yet he still loves me? He already knows, and that, that's grace. That's forgiveness. Peter said, God, how could you use me? I'm so unfaithful. 
but he confessed his sins. He repented. And Peter, the guy who denied Jesus at the crucifixion, was the same man that God used 50 days later at Pentecost to speak to thousands. And 3,000 people were saved on that day. That's the God of second chances. That's the good news. You confess it to God. For the Bible says, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's kind of like the soap bar verse of the Bible here. And that's what God shares with you today, that you're forgiven. That because of Jesus, you have become a new person inside. It's the idea of being born again, this fresh start, getting a brand new shot at life, where you don't have to live the rest of your life in a penalty box. Why? Because of what Jesus did in dying on the cross, and because of what Jesus did on Easter in rising again. He did it so that you can truly experience your life today, what second chances are all about. See, when we talk about this baggage, and even our video alluded to it, he said, you just got to throw it down. You just got to throw it down. But we can't do it ourselves. We don't have the ability to throw it down ourselves. Only God has the power to take it away. We've all seen people who have tried to throw away this baggage without God, trying to get over grudges or grief or guilt without God. Well, we've all seen it in people, and yet we've also all been there as well, trying to do this on our own. But it's God. It's God who takes away this pain, takes away this baggage. The title for the sermon is, is to let go, but also to let God and, and the let God part of it is to allow him to remove it. We have to open up our hands to drop it, but it's God who removes it from our lives. See, by believing in him and by, by believing that he can take away our baggage, that he, God can start this healing process in our lives. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And let